With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Victoria Cash. Thanks for calling the Lucky Land Hotline. If you feel like you do the same thing every day, press 1. If you're ready to have some serious fun for the chance to redeem some serious prizes, press 2. We heard you loud and clear. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com right now and play over 100 social casino-style games for free. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. The only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. When you've had a job interview, you go and tell your mates about how it went afterwards, right? You have a good old chat in the pub or something like that. You mention the questions that tripped you up. You mention what the interviewer was like. Now imagine that you're a football manager. Your mates are journalists. And the job that you've gone for is the boss of Everton Football Club. Because that is exactly what has happened as Portuguese boss Victor Pereira gave an interview to Sky Sports News on his potential appointment at Everton before it has been confirmed. What does that interview do for his chances of landing the job at Goodison Park? We'll debate that on today's Football Social Daily as we take a daily dive into the world of the Premier League. New shows every single day, so make sure you are following this podcast all the latest news and opinion. So we're going to be talking about the Everton boss or who that Everton boss might be shortly. We're also going to be talking about rule changes in the Premier League that should mean there are fewer games cancelled because of COVID over the next few months. And there is some transfer gossip to discuss as well. Stories involving Manchester United, Crystal Palace, West Ham and of course Newcastle United on today's podcast. I'm Jim Salverson. And Noel McCorn on the podcast today, alongside Joel Tudor. Lads, 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 lads. How are we doing, boys? I'm very good, Jim. Listen, if you want me to do this podcast, you're going to have to call me and let me know what your decision is. Uh, <laughs> that seems to be the direction that Vitor Pereira is taking. It's a really strange scenario, and that's where we're going to start. We're going to go up to Merseyside to talk about the situation with Victor Pereira. So... As I said in the introduction, there was an interview. He has given an extraordinary interview with Sky Sports in which he talks about the interview he's had with Everton Football Club about the managerial position and how that process went. He talks about how they seemed impressed with the style of football he wanted to play. And as you say, Niall, he kind of there's a bit of a come and get me plea within that interview as well. I don't think I've ever seen a scenario like this before where a manager's been that open about an interview process whilst the process was ongoing. 
What do you think the game plan is here for Pereira? I've no idea, Jim, to be totally <laughs> honest, because as you say, this is something that we've never seen before, especially in the world of football management. You know, sometimes you get an owner come on and kind of make their case for why they should buy a football club. I've seen that a couple of times on Sky Sports News and national radio stations and stuff. But I've never seen a manager come out and say, this is why I want the job. This is what I can bring to the team. And it's up to them if they choose me. It's It's got a little bit of Donald Trump vibes about it for me. It's a case of, well, it, it, you know, I if you don't Sam vote Allardyce for... I vibes. Oh, really? I just felt like it's... It kind of a... felt like that level of arrogance. Yeah, definitely in terms of arrogance. I don't think he meant it to come across that way, but certainly for me, it was a Donald Trump thing where it was, a, well, if you don't vote for me, it's your loss. You know, I, I don't think that was mm. what he was trying to get across, but it certainly felt like that um, from the, the interview clip that I saw. But yeah, it's just bizarre, isn't it? We've never seen anything like that in the Premier League. Um, whether that has done enough to persuade Everton fans that he's the right man for the job remains to be seen because... I've not really seen too much reaction from Toffee's fans on social media about it. Whether that means he's now ridiculed and not taken seriously for the post is another matter. So I think this one could swing either way. Maybe he's been commended for coming out and saying exactly what his plans are and it's up to Everton to make the decision because there is a bit of pressure on the ownership at Everton at the moment from the fans, Mashiri and Kemwright, etc. I know Bill Kemwright was cornered outside of Goodison Park after one of the games a couple of weeks ago against Aston Villa. So, you know, there's certainly questions being asked of the Everton owners. So maybe that's what Vitor Pereira is trying to do, deflect that pressure back onto the ownership. Um, but certainly in terms of whether it makes him a stronger candidate for the job, I'm not so sure. It's certainly unusual, that's for sure. I mean, what does it do in your eyes to his appointment potential, Joel? I've seen a few Everton fans claiming it was embarrassing, but there's nothing he said that was particularly embarrassing. It's more, I guess, the perceived desperation of wanting the job that could be seen that way. Do you think, as far as Everton are concerned, it could put them off appointing him as the boss? Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. The word desperation... Um... It's, 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 it's a very strange one, almost like you can tell he's never been near the top jobs before and it's like a sudden shock that he's anywhere near a massive Premier League job with such a huge pay rise. Well, to be fair, he used to, put, he used to manage Shanghai, so I'm sure the money isn't too, uh, too much of a problem for him. But I would tell you the reason why this has happened and it's because Kia Jarab tunes all over it. I think Everton fans are more concerned about him than they are about anything else and obviously he's the the super agent who was involved in the Tevez and Mascarano fiasco years ago when he was they were linked with you know the likes of Barcelona Real Madrid and they end up at your little West Ham in London so um it's 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 he's he's bad news put it that way he's bad news even the way in which Tevez left Manchester United it was very very strange where there was concern over the fact that United were willing to pay the release clause and he was flirting with Manchester City um, over the road to try and get a better contract. And the way it all happened just left a really sour taste between Alex Ferguson and Kia and obviously Manchester United fans and Tevez, who was he was loved at United. So the way that this has happened where, you know, you see Kia Jurapchian sat next to Mashiri in the crowd. Obviously, uh, Vito Pereira is a, cl- a client of Kia as well. It's it's a messy situation, and it just seems it seems as though at Everton, the hierarchy is massively massively split, where majority of the names that they're getting linked with are clients of Kia Jarabtun, and it seems as though Mashiri's got his ear way too much next to him, into a guy who's clearly looking after his own self interest, and for me, 
the fact that Pereira is even linked anywhere near this job is quite is concerning, but it's also so obvious as well. I mean, when you look at his CV, like getting relegated from 1860 Munich not so long ago, is this the right guy to take over Everton? Because to me, it's the, the, the fingerprints are so clear. He's left a massive trail and the Everton fans have every right to be complaining because he's putting nearly half a billion into that club and they're probably worse off now than they were when he first arrived. And the fact that they're going through this managerial merry-go-round of the wrong acquisitions, he's got the wrong ears in his head. For a clever business guy, he's, he's, he's acting like he's a naive kid coming into the job. Sometimes owners, they're great businessmen, but they don't know how to run a football club. And it's very, very clear. The fact that he even had Marcel Brands, who was there for way too long than he should have, literally burning his cash on players who you know had these inflated transfer fees and they end up going for 10% of the price because they just didn't fit what Everton are about so it is concerning for Everton and I think if he did get appointed it's just a massive conflict of interest with Kia Drabjian literally selling his client to his confident which is the owner of Everton Football Club it never ends up well and obviously you know there's another case of that with George Mendes being at Wolves and we know how that goes Des has kind of benefited but with this it's just not working there's never a great benefit to having a link a tight link between a board and a particular agent in any scenario that I can think of it tends to go sour at some point my team West Ham they had it with a particular agent I forget his name but pretty much all the transfer deals that were done over a five-year period came through this one guy who was recommending players and a lot of them ended up being duds for want of a better word so it can be an unhealthy relationship that one Joel mentions the split between the board at Everton at the moment now the rumours are Niall that Mashiri wants to push ahead with this appointment of Pereira, but the board want to take their time, potentially not appoint anyone until we get to the summer and let Ferguson take the team to that point. Now, is this just another sign that Everton potentially isn't being run as it should be and that once again, they could end up appointing the wrong man because of Mashiri, who, I mean, ultimately it's his club, he's bankrolling it, he can do what he wants, but he's not a football man, he doesn't necessarily know the game, and he has been prone to making these wrong decisions. Yeah, and that's the point that Joel was picking up on, the fact that Mashiri might be a, a good businessman and someone who's made plenty of money, which he has invested into Everton, but does that mean he knows how to run a football club? Because football clubs aren't like normal businesses, as we've heard people like Gary Neville saying on the TV in the last few weeks. And I think that this kind of boils down to a bigger argument about ownership. Now, I've said for a long time on this podcast a number of times, much like something Gary Neville is trying to campaign for as well, is an independent regulator when it comes to football ownership. We need a board, a panel, an advisory group which then determines whether someone is fit and proper enough to buy a football club because the tests at the moment aren't rigorous enough. Now, Mashiri isn't running Everton into the ground. They've got a new stadium on the way. They still have um, decent enough players to stay in the Premier League. They're just not... Yeah, he he would pass any test. Yeah, of course he, he would. would. Any yeah. kind of limits they say, but it's, it's more a case of whether he knows what he's doing, I guess, and whether he's brought the right people in around him. Exactly, which is when we talk about people having to know the game and know the club, I think a lot of clubs now are having fan advisory boards um, as part of the makeup of their club at board level. And I think that that's a, a critical thing, in my personal opinion. When someone comes in and takes over a club, so for instance, in the championship, 
whole city have just been bought by a Turkish businessman. He's come in, he's taken over, and he's immediately sacked their manager, Grant McCann. Obviously, his plans and visions for Hull City are huge. Uh, compared to the, the previous ownership, which met a lot of criticism, the fans are understandably excited. But I think that there needs to be some sort of fan representation or fan board at, at, that, at that level. Um, because if there isn't a fan representative or you know, fan group at board level, then all of these decisions like... Remember when Cardiff City, who are called the Bluebirds, changed their kit colour to red because owner Vincent Tan was from Malaysia and wanted it to be red. You know, that's not fair on those Cardiff fans that have supported the club for 50 years and it goes down through generations for them to all of a sudden change kit. These things need to be run through the fans first. It needs to be run by the fans. I think that's only fair. And I'm not talking about doing a social media poll or sending out a leaflet. I'm talking about there needs to be representatives that represent the fans in that respect at board level. So when these decisions happen, they can be made. So I certainly think that there's an element of that because if that is the case, then you won't have Everton fans cornering Bill Kenwright outside the ground because there'll be someone who represents the voice of the fans at the top end of the club being able to relay that information because a lot of the time these owners can be a little bit tone deaf. And I think we're seeing that with Mashiri. I mean, it's all well and good investing half a billion, whatever he's put into the club. But as Joel says, Everton are no better off than what they were. So yeah, I totally understand those viewpoints that Mashiri just doesn't really seem like he knows what he's doing. Um, I thought it was interesting, the Marcel Brands thing as well. He was their director of football and, you know, he made some half decent signings, but he also made some absolute shockers. And, you know, he kind of paid the price. And I think the, the important thing now is not only do Everton need to bring in the right manager, but they've got no head of medical staff. They've got no director of football. The whole of Rafa's backroom team was completely cleaned out. At the moment, it's basically just Big Duncan, the kit man, left. So they need to really make sure that they get this right. And, you know, uh, Mashiri's track record of doing so isn't particularly great. So I think that that's probably where a lot of the concern from the Everton fans comes from because there's no doubt that they'll be feeling as a fan group that they're in a relegation battle and Everton should not be in that situation. It is strange that we look at two clubs who have recently departed managers Watford and Everton and no one would say Watford have a great history in terms of firing and hiring managers and yet they brought in Roy Hodgson super quickly after the departure the decisions they made there, whereas you look at Everton, who weeks after sacking Rafa Benitez, as you say, Niall, kind of seem to be all at sea in terms of what they're doing, who they're appointing and how that behind the scenes structure works. At the moment, it isn't Pereira who is the number one choice, reportedly. It is Frank Lampard who is currently topping the list of managers that Everton want to bring in. We know Roberto Martinez is off the table because of his commitments to Belgium. They don't want to let him go. They don't want to look at a job share. So we'll have to wait to see what happens with Everton Football Club now. But as I say, Frank Lampard currently the number one choice on their list. Yeah, He's going to sit down on Good Morning Britain with Phil and Holly, giving his case on why. <laughs> oh man, I'd love to see that. That would be fantastic. Uh, he could do the one show, isn't he? Um, is, he is he still seeing uh, the, the host of the one show? Is that? I think he is, yeah. That's still a thing? Awesome. Well, let's make it happen. I want to see that happen. Uh, we will keep you up to date with the developments at Everton make sure you are subscribed to Football Social Daily so you get the show every day it's published there's a new one every day we're going to talk about those changes to rules around Covid next on Football Social Daily it should mean less cancellations I'll tell you exactly what's happening next Football Social Daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode 
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. This is Football Social Daily. There's been a change in the rules around COVID cancellations in the Premier League and hopefully it's going to mean less games are cancelled. We see more football going forward without putting players, fans, etc. at risk. Now, the new rules state that a team needs to prove that they have four positive cases within their playing staff before a game is cancelled. There have been 22 cancellations so far because of COVID infections. Joel, why has this been done? Has it been done purely because certain teams, mentioning no names, Liverpool, have been bending the rules to suit their own agenda and potentially put off games when they didn't necessarily have a case to do so. Well, teams bending the rules. You're having a laugh, aren't you? <laughs> um, we, we literally... I, I remember so vividly talking with Niall about this on the podcast, I think, like, end of December, maybe, when everyone was starting to clock on that, wait, a, a club's actually taking advantage of this to gain a little bit of a competitive advantage on all the teams around them because... It just seemed as though they were picking and choosing when they wanted to play their games, irrespective of what COVID cases they have. And the fact that they've now said that they need to prove they have four positive cases, what the hell's been going on before then? Have they just been literally going off like a verbal, oh, at Premier League, we have 10 cases, can we reschedule it? And then, and then they say, oh, oh, yeah, that's fine. Let's find a, a room in the in the schedule for you. I do not understand why this has just been brought in now when it's been pretty clear for the last month that clubs have been citing the fact that, you know, they have players at African Cup of Nations, they have injury problems. That's a concern every single season when you take away the pandemic or you don't. So the fact that now the pandemic has been used as a way to literally manipulate those injuries, those concerns, so then they can have an unfair advantage. I'm sorry, but it puts an asterisk on the whole Premier League because some teams in the league have a competitive advantage just on the bottom line which is the fact that they have better financial conditions so how unfair is that on the teams who you know they don't have the luxury of picking the most superstars they have superstars all over the bench they have to just pick their best 11 and grind it out and the fact that the bigger clubs like Liverpool um, who have been pretty much taking advantage of the situation is is, is, is a big um, it's a big concern for the Premier League I would say and the fact that it's come at the tail end pretty much is just ridiculous and obviously you know when you think back to that start of the the Premier League when Brentford played Arsenal 
they had way more than four positive cases and yet they had to play that game and they got beat, I think it was 2-1 by Brentford. Their fans must be so annoyed looking at this because looking back now, that game should never have been played. Obviously, it's easy to say, easy to say in hindsight, but also in hindsight, the most logical thing was always that you shouldn't be playing teams who've got lots of COVID cases. But the fact that they had to prove it now is really alarming for me because I always wonder, well, what the hell were they doing before? Well, I assume there was some kind of proof required before. I think the big change here is that it needs to be purely COVID cases that force the restriction because previously it was, you didn't have, if you if you couldn't put out 13 players and a goalkeeper, no matter what the reasons were behind that, whether it was injuries, whether it was AFCON, whatever, if you couldn't provide 13 players and a goalkeeper, you were allowed to postpone that game. So that's the big change here. The change is that now it has to be down to COVID. Now we've seen different teams affected by COVID in different ways or from the outside looking in, affected by different ways. We don't know whether some have just chosen to continue, like Manchester City, for example. Obviously, they've got the squad depth that if they lose five, six, seven players via COVID, they can continue. So we've seen very few postponements from Manchester City, whereas teams like Liverpool, who have been affected by COVID, but also the likes of AFCON, have asked for those postponements. So this, writing it down, Niall, and going, look, you can only postpone if you have these four covid cases that is the criteria does that make it fairer across the league for everyone yeah i think it's the right decision absolutely and as joel says it's been a case for about a month now where you know clubs have postponed games because of a lack of availability you know the one that really stuck in the throat for a lot of people was the arsenal against liverpool postponement um for the north london derby um as was the liverpool against arsenal postponement in the uh, carabao cup semi-finals but with that north london derby arsenal had just sent two players out on loan granite Xhaka had just been sent off and then they applied to get the game postponed due to the fact they didn't have enough players well that's their choice to send players out on loan Players get sent off all the time. As Joel says, before the pandemic, if you had two players out on loan and a player sent off, that would be called an injury crisis. You throw COVID into the mix and that's the spanner in the works. You know, COVID can spread rapidly and take a lot of players out in one go. But for Arsenal, it was a combination of all of those things, which meant that they didn't have enough players available. So I can understand why clubs were taking advantage of the rules. It was a loophole, which appears to have now been patched up by the Premier League. Joel's right, though. It took a long time. You know, we saw this coming a month away, a month ago. Um, but every time there's a rule change mid-season, it's a case of, um, you know, what does it do for the integrity of the competition? It's not fair because when we should have played Team X, they had fewer players available and now they've got all their stars back. So, I mean, there's always going to be someone complaining about the situation. I mean, I mean, look at Ralph Hasenhurtl, the Southampton manager, who only three weeks ago complained that players signed this January shouldn't be allowed to play in the rescheduled fixtures um which is just stupid you know what what they're expecting what they're <laughs> expecting to do call players back from new clubs say come and play for us for one game you know it's just ridiculous <laughs> so i mean there're always going to be complaints about it um i think it's the right decision eventually though and we haven't had a game called off for covid reasons in inverted commas for a little while so so yeah, it it's damage the integrity though, as Joel says. Like he says, there should be an asterisk a bit against the season. Which this is the second rule change as far as COVID restrictions are concerned over the course of a season. So it does frame the competition differently. But is it fair to go right if Manchester City win the league this season? It's not a, it's not a genuine victory because the integrity of the competition has been damaged. 
it's unique. The last two seasons has been unique. So that's one thing for sure. None of us have ever dealt with a pandemic in, at least not in my lifetime, and I argue probably not in yours as well, Jim, to be fair. Um, not on this scale anyway. I think there's been a few scares and suggestions. Yeah, I, I wasn't alive during the Spanish flu. <laughs> I, I was thinking more the bubonic plague, but, you know, that's uh, <laughs> that's only 400 years ago instead of 800. So, um, But, yeah, I, I reckon that it's one of those where you do kind of have to accept that we are living in exceptional circumstances. Now, understandably, Liverpool won the league last season behind closed doors with no fans, um, or two seasons ago, my apologies, um, when there was a big split in the season, three-month break due to due to COVID lockdown, and then we had Project Restart, and then there was the controversy over Sheffield United and the Aston Villa goal line technology thing, and who stayed up and who went down, and all of the rest of it, and it's... Um, it's been littered with controversy, but that's because it's been out of the norm. It's been unusual. So in terms of should there be an asterisk next to the season, um, I guess more of a caveat rather than an asterisk. I think asterisk has this negative connotation. So, I mean, a nice little bit of trivia that I like to wheel out is my team, Portsmouth, are the record holders of the FA Cup in terms of time. No one's held the FA Cup for longer than us. We won the FA Cup in 1939 and then World War II just happened to get in the way of football. And uh, five, six years later, we're still the champions. So, you know, that's kind of one of those small bits of football trivia, which we're not really the longest holders of the FA Cup. Like we didn't win it in consecutive seasons or anything. But because of that, there was no football for five years or, or four years or whatever it was. And so, you know, that's one of those statistics that you go back and you say, you know, why is that the case? Caveat it with the fact that World War Two happened. Now, this isn't obviously anywhere near as serious as, as World War Two, in my opinion, although it's been quite a serious pandemic, which has affected the world. But it's one of those where it's, yeah, OK, the reason that things have happened the way they have happened is because we're living in un- exceptional circumstances, unprecedented times. It looks like we're just starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel now, fingers crossed with this pandemic and we're starting to learn to get to grips with it a bit more in our day-to-day life which is a sad fact unfortunately but it's certainly something which has affected the football season and I think you'd be a fool to suggest that it hasn't. Well these rules come into play on the 5th of February which is when the season resumes because we're currently in this weird winter break thing we have at the moment which means there's no Premier League games for the next fortnight. For me I'm amazed that some of those postponements, some of those cancellations aren't being squeezed into this two week window but the Premier League have decided this will be a proper break and players are off doing their warm weather training in Dubai and all that kind of thing but it does mean managers can focus on the transfer window because there are a few days left around five or six days until the window shuts which means there's still some deals to be done some of those deals we'll look at next on football social daily football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode this podcast is sponsored by cloud optimizer as a business owner or it manager are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why it's time for cloud optimizer as you migrate your business to the cloud what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance Plus, save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. 
Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Final bit of today's podcast. We're going to look at some of the transfer rumours. And it's another day and another rumour linking a player with Newcastle United for a few hours until that gets dismissed and they move on to another name. The current name at time of recording. Now, this is being linked by the German paper Sportsblied. Sportsblied. Um, They're saying that Thomas Müller could be on his way to Newcastle. Currently Bayern Munich player. He's about to enter the final year of his contract at Bayern and apparently Newcastle are interested, but also Everton as well, which is weird considering they've not got a manager. <laughs> so I'm not sure how that works. Who's identifying these You mean targets? the Bayern Munich Thomas Müller, not another one? Not a no, different yeah, one. The, the Bayern Munich Thomas Müller, <laughs> okay, the very same right. one. Um, I'm sensing yeah. by your reaction you're not 100% on board with this one, Niall. But Joel, what do you reckon? Scale of 1 to 10, how much do you think... This rumor is true. Yeah, yeah, it's not even on the scale. That's how untrue it is. Flipping hell, my <laughs> like every every single person on earth has been linked with Newcastle. Even I think I just got a letter about me being posted on an article. So Newcastle's just an easy click because they know that they have the money. It's the safe situation. Blah 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 blah. With Thomas Muller, he'll end up retiring at Bayern. He's a Bavarian guy, like through and through. He won't ever leave that club. He, he nearly did a few years ago, and that was to Manchester United, and it just never worked out. I don't believe for one second he's going to sacrifice going for the Bundesliga every year, going for the Champions League every year to go and do a relegation battle with Newcastle away at Burnley. Like it's just not going to happen, is it? Um, and I think with Muller, he's probably one of the most underrated players in the history of football, just in terms of the. Is what he brings out is, and his his stats are just ridiculous. Um, but I don't believe for one second that's the case. And Newcastle have just they've they're a victim of their own. I was going to say success, <laughs> a victim of their own money, shall we say? Um, in terms of just they know for a fact that every single publication is just using them, and I'm sure agents are using them as well. Because like you just mentioned, Thomas Muller's ent- entering the last year of his contract at Bayern, so. I'm sure he'll be looking to gain a nice juicy contract because he is 32 now. So it will be his probably final contract of his career. Um, And typically German players don't usually go abroad to, you know, the likes of China or the likes of um, America. So I think he will be looking to get his final contract and retire at Bayern. And I'm sure agents are absolutely loving the fact that Newcastle are loaded because it's an easy way to plant the agent and link them next to them um, and it's, it's an easy way to get a nice little negotiation out of it so yeah I, I doubt he's ever going to leave there whatsoever and Newcastle just have to enjoy these links for the time being I think you're right that's my vibe on this one it's a play to get a new contract and being linked to Newcastle is a good way to do that he just feels like a Bundesliga lifer Thomas Muller and I can't see why he'd potentially damage his reputation by going to the Premier League and maybe not doing as well there as he has at Bundesliga although he is only 32 so there's a little bit of time left in his career but is this the kind of player that we see Newcastle United signing Niall because for me from that point of view if you take a step back and go what they need is a player who has some proven reputation it's probably at the tail end of his contract but one of those guys that you just know you sign him and there's going to be a hundred people at St James's Park at the club shop the day after ordering shirts with their name on the back it feels like that kind of marquee 
signing, I guess. Yeah, you're right. That would certainly be the case. But, you know, Thomas Muller feels like the oldest 32-year-old to ever walk planet Earth. He's been around since the dawn of time. <laughs> you know, it just seems like he's been playing for Bayern Munich forever. And I think Joel's right. I think he'll probably end up staying. I mean, these sorts of players are great to have in your squad, even if their powers are waning ever so slightly. I still think he's a very good player, by the way. But you look at someone like Juan Mata at Manchester United, for an example, barely gets every any games this 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 season you know he's he's barely played um these days he doesn't get much game time but he is still a really useful figure to have around the squad because of his experience he's in his mid-30s been at the club eight years he's one of the longest serving players so I certainly think that in terms of that leadership quality he offers a great deal still to Bayern Munich um when it comes to this I mean this would be a more shocking transfer than Edgar Davids rocking up to Barnet back in the day um I just I just I just can't see this happening um it, it would honestly be the biggest shock transfer I think not of all time but you'd be getting damn close if this happens Thomas Muller from Bayern Munich the, one of the best teams in Europe going to Everton or Newcastle I mean that just goes to show the bonkers nature of the Premier League I think if anything that shows the pull of the Premier League and how much money there is flying around in the Premier League for players um, if that shows anything it would be that um, in terms of that marquee signing thing totally agree it would be huge there'd be people queuing around the block past the strawberry uh, up in Newcastle upon time trying to buy um, club shirts with, with names on the back that say Muller I'm with you but it's too soon for Newcastle in particular it's far too soon to be thinking about these sorts of transfers. With the position that they're in, it's going to be tough for them to attract even the likes of Jesse Lingard, as we've seen. You know, Manchester United want around £16.5 million in total from um, Newcastle United if Jesse Lingard goes there and keeps them up. So imagine how much, you know, these sorts of players are going to cost Newcastle if they do go and sign someone like Thomas Muller. I know he's out of contract in the summer, so they could just wait. But in terms of what they want in the, what clubs are going to want from them for a fee when it comes to signing players it's going to be exponential but we know that it's because Newcastle in the relegation zone they're in trouble and everyone knows how rich they are when Man City got taken over they were a mid-table club pushing Europe arguably pushing the top eight so you could argue that they were a more attractive proposition than Newcastle are right now um, so so that's kind of the way it is I think in three or four years we could well see Newcastle signing players like Thomas Muller on a regular basis. But at the moment, it's far too soon. If you think about it this way, the way Manchester City have done it, which is an obvious comparison to draw between Newcastle and Man City being taken over by super rich owners in the Premier League. Um, it's taken them until now. Um, so what's that? 14 years into their ownership to spend £100 million on a player. And that was Jack Grealish. They spent £50 million a fair few times, but it's rare that City have their pants pulled down. They'd rather just go and find someone somewhere else that fits the profile and get it right. And I think that that's something Newcastle are going to have to learn and pretty quickly as well, because this will keep happening in terms of trying to be ripped off and linked with ridiculous players until they establish themselves a little bit. At the moment, their main focus has to be staying up rather than, you know, being linked with these ridiculous players that they're not going to sign for a while. We've already talked about the manager situation at Everton. Obviously, we forget that Manchester United don't have a full-time boss at the moment. This isn't strictly a transfer rumour, but it has been reported in The Sun today, Joel, that Ralph Rangnick is now potentially in the running to get the boss's job full-time at Old Trafford. That's what the board want after what they describe as an impressive Opening spell. Now, that's a strong phrase, impressive, considering what I think Ralph Randlick's done at Manchester United today. Have you heard that one before? <laughs> Has he been in. Yeah, it's very similar to the Solskjaer situation, I guess, isn't it? So, I mean, we won't 
dwell on this too long, but I'm interested. Do you think he's been impressive? And would you be happy if Rangnick gets that managerial position full time? Um, impressive in terms of like his demeanour and the way he's gone about it. I think he's been absolutely spot on just in terms of literally doing what has been needed to be done in terms of any player that wants to leave, move them on. Um, benching players who don't deserve to start. For example, in recent times, Rashford hasn't deserved to start and he's benched him. Whereas Solskjaer would consistently go with players who he trusted yet were just clearly not in a good patch of form at all. And I, res- I think a lot of United fans respect him for that because he's choosing players not based on merit. Uh, just sorry, he's choosing players based on merit rather than you know their reputation. And that's how a manager sh- should always operate. I think under Solskjaer they got too complacent where they knew they were going to start regardless of how well they played. Um, but in terms of you know impressive. I think he's got a massive job on his hands and he's doing the he's done the best he can he's only been in the job for what like a month and a half now so I don't think anyone was expecting miracles and clearly with the way they started playing when he first started you can tell that this is it's a long long mission to get this team back to or not even back to but playing how we think they should be playing um, but I definitely this situation feels like you know in, in high school and you had a substitute teacher and you had to kind of impress him so that when the, when the real teacher came in you could literally be like oh yeah that guy played was good for me he was good for me that guy's a clown get him out I think it's a we case didn't do of that. that we just, just terrorised our supply teachers yeah to be fair we must did have went as well. to a nice school Joe <laughs> no we, we had pencils and dictionaries thrown around ours during the substitute <laughs> time um, but yeah I think in this situation I wouldn't do him on a permanent I think the way that they've originally planned it which is him going upstairs I think it's way more beneficial I think he will be way more beneficial to United when it comes to that um, I just feel as though in the summer they need to evaluate and he needs to like kind of report to the new manager which ones are the clowns which one needs to go which ones are set for the for the next seasons ahead um, and carry on how it should have been because like you, like I just said to you Jim it sounded all too familiar when Solskjaer was meant to be a stopgate uh, in terms of you know trying to recover a little bit after Mourinho left and then they go and get their main guy but suddenly you know they had the blinding lights and a few good fixtures in front of him and he was hired on a three-year contract so they need to definitely not fall into that trap again um, and stick to the plan stick to the strategy that they've got and hopefully in the summer they can reevaluate. and I think obviously Pochettino and Tenag are way better options so I think they'd be stupid to kind of hire him on a, on a on a permanent they need to stick to the plan I think a lot of Manchester United fans would probably echo that opinion I'd also like to take this opportunity to officially apologise to Mrs Tunnicliffe for locking her in a cupboard when she was a supply teacher at my school back in the day so that's an official <laughs> apology it's a rite of passage yeah. um, right final one 30 years at... too late yeah our MC Sport in France are reporting that West Ham and Palace are both turning their attention to the young Senegalese and Marseille striker Bamba Dieng I've heard this one reported from a West Ham point of view from a few sources actually um, for West Ham's point of view it's a double deal for Bemba Dieng and Carletta Carr as well both of which I believe the club want to take on loan with an option to buy this isn't I mean I, I've, I've heard of Carletta Carr and West Ham have been linked with him for ages Bemba Dieng is a new one for me Niall is this a player that these clubs should be getting excited about 
I don't know because I've no idea who that is, Jim. I'm like you. I've, I'm not sure who it is. Maybe Joel will be better positioned to answer this with oh, his. We're such an informed podcast, football manager and uh, FIFA experience. Um, that's how a lot of people tend to get their information on players these days. I think when it comes to signing new players, it's always a, a, a stab in the dark. I mean, Bamba Dieng is obviously a Marseille player and someone who I have no real intel on I don't really watch much of the French league but um, Marseille are a big club in that country um, so he'll be used to the pressure and he'll use, be used to the crowds I mean the Stad Velodrome I think is it that they play or is that Lyon but I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Marseille it's, it's a really nice ground and um, it's it's a decent size so he'll be used to the supporters um, in terms of the size of the stadiums that we get in the Premier League like you know for instance if he went to West Ham I think he'd be used to that Um Marseille are quite a big club in terms of they've won the Champions League in the past. They've had some brilliant players on their books in, you know, the distant past as well. So um, I think it's hard to tell when you sign a new striker, uh, particularly from from France, because you kind of get a bit of a mixed bag. I mean, the French league is one that's um, in the top five European leagues, but I'd say it's probably the weakest of all five. You know, if we're putting them in order between Germany, Spain, England. Very different top to bottom, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if you think Germany, Spain, England, Italy and France, I think you'd probably argue that the French league was the weakest. That's not to say Dieng isn't an excellent player. I mean, look how good some of the players are at PSG, for example. So um, the fact is that um, Crystal Palace have signed quite well in the forward department recently. Um, they still got Christian Benteke, but I think Osson Edward was a, a decent signing. I'm still not convinced on Mateta, but he's been okay. And, um, you know, Crystal Palace is an exciting place to go at the moment. They've been linked with Donny van der Beek as well. So um, when it comes to attacking players, maybe that's a, a bit of a, a bit of a pull, especially with Patrick Vieira being there. Uh, attracting players from French clubs is, is certainly going to be something a bit easier now for Crystal Palace due to that Patrick Vieira factor. But for West Ham... They need another striker, don't they? Absolutely desperately, because without Mikhail Antonio, who's away with Jamaica, who could well get injured, um, they've got nothing in behind him. And they could play Jared Bowen through the middle, as we've seen. But I think he's been so good out wide that you don't want to waste Jared Bowen through the centre when he could play out wide. Um, So I think West Ham need another striker desperately. I wonder whether they'll sign one in the next three or four days. And this is the first link to a striker I've seen for a little while. So um, with them chasing the Champions League spots and being in a decent position to possibly uh, play Champions League football or at least European football next season, maybe that's what Dieng, this young French striker or young Senegalese striker, I should say, um, is, is looking to is looking to play European football, much like Marseille would be striving to do. So I think it's a really interesting toss-up between the two clubs that are allegedly linked. West Ham do tend to leave it quite late in the transfer market ever since David Moyes came into the job. This is a player that has been dubbed the new Drogba, Joel. I don't know if you can offer any intel on him. In terms of the fee, we're talking somewhere between 8 and 15 million quid, depending on what you read. But in terms of his record in the French league as well, You wouldn't say he's lit it up. He's scored four goals this season in 19 appearances. He was playing for the Marseille B team, so Marseille 2, or 2, I suppose that would be, last season. Didn't score any any goals there. (laughs) Marseille 2. Marseille 2. No goals, but only played four times. So he's not banging them in. It's, it's, it's similar to, um, I think it's Mietke, the young player who Newcastle been linked with a good €40 million Euro bid from, I think it is Rene. Um, they're all taking a punt on potential. This is Dieng's first season in Lijon, which is 
it's a gamble, isn't it? I mean, four goals in fourteen games. He's not pro- he's not prolific at all. And if history's ever taught me something, it's that any player who's dubbed the next is never the next. Like I don't think I've ever seen a player <laughs> who's fulfilled the it. Next, yeah, yeah I've, I don't think I've ever seen a player fulfill that title once. Whenever it's a, the next Ronaldo, the next Messi, they typically end up at Barnet. So it's never gonna. It's, I hope the the kind of reputation that everyone's building him up as isn't it will precede him. But yeah, he's had fourteen games in the first division. It's a gamble. It's a punt. Right now, clubs are having to do that because the minute a player in France starts scoring, you know, ten goals in fifteen games, suddenly you have all of the biggest European clubs hovering around them like eagles, trying to take them off the hands. And that's the case. Football's become uh, that's that's how football's gone now. It's the, just the fact that. Any young talent who suddenly flashes into the scene never ever gets chance to truly prove if he's actually the real cream or if he's actually just a very flash in the pan moment. And it can be an expensive gamble as we've seen. West Ham have done a lot of transfers like that where they've got them from the first division in the French league based on, you know, half a good season in France and suddenly they don't start performing to that level. Well, maybe they never were. Well, maybe that was their level and they can't step up. So it is a big gamble. He's a young guy as well. Um, but, you know, he's he's had half a season in the French League. So I would take those claims of being the next Drogba with a pinch of salt. Because at least with Drogba, he was actually really doing it for Marseille. Um, got them to the, the final of the UEFA Cup as well. So, yeah, it's it's one of those. It's, it's, a, it's a kind of shot in the dark, I would say. If it pulls off, Vieira looks a genius. If it doesn't pull off they've lost 10 million euros, which I don't think is a massive sting. And probably some Premier League clubs would say it is worth the gamble, considering the fact that the more um, prestige European strikers, you have to be paying north of 60 million to even get on the table. So they have to do that. Um, And, you know, sometimes it is worth the gamble, but more often than not, it doesn't pay off. I am expecting the transfer window to come alight in this final week, by the way. I think there's still some money to be spent, particularly from the likes of Newcastle, but not that many deals done to date. So over the next seven days, we'll keep you up to date with everything that's going on in the transfer market because there are no Premier League games until the 5th of February. That's when the Premier League returns, but there'll be plenty of news and views and opinions between now and then, and we'll cover them all off on Football Social Daily. See you next time. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.